This is the Sterling Vineyard Sundays podcast. We are a church passionate about encountering Jesus and sharing his love with our city. To find out more about who we are, visit our website at sterlingvineyard.co.uk. everyone. Um, I am super excited to be here this morning, if not slightly terrified. It's been a little bit of a while since I've preached at the front of a church, um, but I have my trusty notes. They say trusty, they're nearly fallen off. I've gone for paperwork. I feel like I'm safer with paperwork. Um, anyway, so this week is the start of Advent, and I just wanted to ask, is there any planners in the room? Oh, people after my own heart. Um, who, has anyone got all their Christmas presents already? Yes. And has anyone started wrapping them yet? Oh, there we go. I love it. Um, yeah, so I've got, I haven't quite got all my Christmas presents, but I've got nearly all of them, and I've certainly started wrapping them. I actually find it easier to hide Christmas presents if they're wrapped from the kids. And also, it's amazing because you're able to give the presents to family early on so I can clear my house or some of the stuff, um, which is helpful too. Um, anyone that knows me knows that I am a planner. I love the phrase, if you don't plan, you plan to fail. So if you don't plan, you're planning to fail. Um, I like to think ahead into the future. I like to try and recognize what stress points might be coming up and plan against them. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I work for Script Union Scotland. Um, I work at their center, Lendrick Muir. Um, and as the business manager, my job role involves a lot of planning, it involves making bookings, thinking a year, two years, three years in advance. Um, but not only do I do it at work, I do it at home. If you were to ask me about my holidays, I like to think about what I want to do next year. But I've also got an idea the year after and the year after. Um, I'm a little bit different to Andrew in that sense. I know he's a very patient man. Um, but also as a parent, you have to plan. You have to work out what each child is going to be at any one point. You have to work out when the meal times are going to be. Sometimes your kids can eat together, sometimes it's separate. I love a good slow cooker meal that you can keep just dishing out when each child comes in. Um, and then you have to think about school bags and what to pack in the school bag, or for Hannah to remember to put a chanter in on a Wednesday morning, which has been a bit of a challenge the last few weeks. Um, and it was really funny. I spoke to a mum the other day, and she said, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I could do with a couple of weeks of lockdown. Do you remember those crazy times? It didn't matter what you planned. It all went up in the air. And it certainly taught me a lot about being flexible and open to change. Do you remember that Christmas we had where we were going to get to see all our family and we're like all really excited and suddenly that all changed. And I think we were able to see them maybe on Christmas Day and that certainly in our household led to conversations of who's going to see who and how is it going to work out. Um, when I was given the topic of Advent and I started praying into it, I got the title, God Had a Plan. And isn't it so true that when we went through that crazy time of COVID, when every plan was broken, it was good to remind ourselves that God had a plan. He isn't surprised by everything. So in thinking about Christmas and thinking about Advent, I thought the best place to start was to start reading the New Testament. Reread the Christmas story. We obviously know between the Old Testament and New Testament, there's a 400-year gap. And then we start at the beginning of the New Testament. And what do you get when you get to the beginning of the New Testament? Come on. What's at the very beginning? Well, there we have the, the, the church, children's church answer to everything, Jesus. 
It's, it's not a tricky question. We have Matthew's gospel. Yeah, we could, we, could, we could work. I'm not going too far in my... Does anyone know how Matthew's gospel starts? The genealogy. Woohoo! We're on to it. Um, so to be honest, I opened Matthew's gospel and I saw the genealogy and I thought, yeah, I might just skip past this. Let's get to the point where you think about the angels coming to Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, the stables, Jesus in the manger. But then I felt prompted to pause and I looked at the genealogy. Why had Matthew put it there? It doesn't actually seem a massively compelling start to the whole of the entire New Testament. But then as I dug deeper, I began to see Matthew highlighting to his readers God's plan. And I didn't actually make it to the angels, the stable and the shepherds. I can leave that for someone else next week. So I'm sorry if that's what you were coming here to hear this morning. Um, So the book of Matthew, this was written to a Jewish audience. And therefore, because I don't believe anyone in this room is Jewish, I'm sorry if you are, but we, uh, we can miss the signs and hints that's given in, throughout this book. And this is particularly seen in this genealogy. And this morning, I want to unpack how Matthew is very much demonstrating God's plan through this genealogy. If we can move to my next slide. Yeah. So the best place to start is verse 1. And it says here, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of Abraham, of David and of Abraham. Oh dear. Um, What Matthew has done here is he's picked two characters that identify the mission and the identity of Jesus. Jesus' mission was to fulfill the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 12. In those verses it says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. So I run an SU group at my daughter's daughter's school, uh, and we've been going through the Old Testament. We've been doing that for about a year and a half. And when we got to the end of it, we kind of looked at the pattern that happens through the Old Testament. And it's a pattern that you see go over and over again. And it goes along the lines of the people sin. God lets them face the consequence of their sin, whether they end up in a war or whether they end up exiled. They cry out to God. He rescues them. They promise to follow him always and never sin. They sin again. And the cycle starts again. The people sin. God lets them face the consequence of their sin. They cry out to God. He rescues them. They promise to always follow him and never sin. They sin again. Due to sin and human frailty, the promise to Abraham was not going to happen without God's intervention. God knew that from the beginning of time. He knew that for all the people of the earth to be blessed through Abraham, he would need to intervene. And that is where Jesus came into it. So Matthew is highlighting through the inclusion of Abraham in verse 1, the mission of Jesus. And then if we look at the other side, David, he is highlighting Jesus' identity. King David would probably be described as the greatest monarch in Israel's history. In 2 Samuel 7, God promises David that his seed will establish the throne of the kingdom that will last forever. Now his son Solomon rules after him, but again as you look and see the picture unfold, the kingdom falls, it falls apart, it all goes wrong. And again this promise of a kingdom that stands forever would not be fulfilled through mankind, but through Jesus. Matthew is highlighting Jesus' identity as king, but it's not over a country, it's over the world, over the universe, over everything. 
So, um, at Christmas, as a child, I used to go to a service called Nine Lessons and Carols, and maybe some of you have been to a similar service. And in this uh, service, there used to be uh, scriptures read relating to the Christmas story. And one classic passage was John 1. And as a child, I used to sit in my seat with bated breath. It was the most tongue-twister passage that you can get. And I'd be like, oh, are they going to get it right? Are they going to make a failure? I didn't really know what the verses were about, but it's just this excitement of what is going to happen. Um, and quite often people would trump, sort of trip over the words, and I was like, ah, great. Um, but on a serious note, these verses really show that God had a plan. In the beginning was the Word, the Word being Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. That life was the light of all mankind. So here we see that Jesus was there in the beginning. He was with the Father in the beginning. And he was the light of all mankind. We also see in Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters at the beginning of creation. So you can see that in the beginning was Father, Son, and Spirit. I love pondering the Christmas star. It's something every time I think about Christmas, I think about the stars. The star that led the Magi to Jesus. And there I've read many debates over what that star could be. Could it be two planets orbiting close together? Could it be a comet? Could it be a supernova? Maybe it's two stars that came together. But something happened that made that star shine in the sky brighter than all the others. And more than wondering about how it happened, what amazes me is at the beginning of time, when God created the world, when he flung those stars into space... He made it so that it would be a star that would shine in the sky at the right time, that would be the brightest star in the sky, and that would lead the Magi to Jesus. From the beginning, God had a plan, and it was even written in the stars. So, when we think about Jesus being there in the beginning, when we think about that story unfolding, he saw Abraham, he saw David, and he knew when those promises that the Father gave to Abraham and David happened, that he was going to be the the answer to that. He knew that he was part of that plan. So moving on from verse 1, if we can get to the next slide. Now, I am not going to read that all out because that is just way too much for me to cope with. But here we see the genealogy. Um, And I want to look at some of the characters that Matthew lists in this genealogy. Now, genealogy is a bit like a CV. They told you of your family, your pedigree, your clan, who your connections were. And a bit like our own CVs, if there's part of our history that maybe doesn't shine us in the best light, you don't put it on your CV, you put it to the side, you miss it out. And this is what would happen in ancient times. Um, With this in mind, we kind of look at this genealogy and think, hmm, what is Matthew doing here? Because some of it is quite shocking. Um, Now, as I've said, this was written to a Jewish audience. um, And Matthew is making this point when he's writing to this Jewish audience that anyone is welcome in Jesus' family. In the genealogy, you can see that I've highlighted various names. Five of these names mentioned are women. Now, as you know, through history, women have often been seen as second class, and that was definitely the case in Bible times. Um, So it was unusual to have one woman, let alone five. Of these women, three were Gentiles, so they were not of Jewish descent. So they would have been seen as racial outsiders. They would have been deemed unclean. That Jewish people would not mix with uh, Gentile people. And then also, when you think about it, 
when the Jewish readers would read this, they would see the names of the people and it reminded them of the stories in the Old Testament. So I just want to pick out a few of those names. One of them is Tamar. Now Tamar was treated badly by her father-in-law Judah. So what did she do? She disguised herself as a prostitute, prostituted herself out to her father-in-law and as a demonstration of this bad treatment. It's not really something you want to shout about. It's not something you really want to uh, put in your family history, put on your CV. It's not a great family connection. To be honest, it's more like a storyline out of EastEnders. But there she is. She's in that. Then we've got another woman in there, Rahab. She was a Canaanite, so again, another outsider. And she was also a prostitute. Her story is a little bit different from Tamar in the fact that um, when Joshua sends his spies out into the promised land, she protects them. But again, it's not really the sort of person you would want to see in the line of a Messiah. And then Matthew 1.6 is even more interesting to me. Um, we talked about King David. Well, that makes sense. King, Messiah, all fits together. Um, Jesus from a kingly line. But then Matthew adds this interesting phrase. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Here, scandal strikes again. We know Solomon's mother to be Bathsheba. But the way Matthew's done that is it's like he's added a highlighter pen to this section. He's making a big slam on David. David slept with Uriah's wife, got her pregnant, and then to cover it up, he sent Uriah, one of his best and faithful soldiers, into battle and told his comrades, when you're in that battle, abandon Uriah, leading almost certain death. And indeed, he got killed. So when we look at this genealogy, we see a very patchy picture. We see, but we see that this is very much Matthew's intention. He's saying anyone can be welcome into Jesus' family, whatever their background, even if they've been rejected by society or they've had serious moral failings. And then the last section I want to, so the last slide. I uh, hope we're all mathematicians when we think about this one. Um, so the final area I want to look at is how Matthew has grouped the generations into three groups of 14, or six groups of seven. Are you with me? Um, so in this, he's actually made, to do this, Matthew's actually missed people out to achieve it. So he's trying to make a point. It says, all those listed above include 14 generations, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. So that is, that's where we see the six groups of seven, or three groups of 14. In the Bible, seven is a highly significant number. Matthews wants to show us that there's been six generations of seven, and that Jesus is the star of the seventh generation. I hope that makes sense. This is steeped heavily in Jewish symbolism. In Mosaic law, which is found in the Torah, or first five books of the Bible, every seven years, the farmers were commanded to let the land lie fallow so it could replenish its nutrients. This was seen as a year of rest. But we take this a step further. In Leviticus 25, the seventh period of seven years, so year 49, was to be a jubilee. In that year, slaves were to be freed, debts forgiven, and the land and the people were to rest. It was like the Sabbath of Sabbaths a foretaste of what it would be like when God renews the earth. Matthew is telling us that rest will only come through Jesus. The, God's, the Christmas story is the start of the fulfillment of that plan that God had from the beginning of time. Fulfillment of the promises to Abraham and to Moses. 
The plan that Jesus would be that ultimate jubilee, the Sabbath of Sabbaths, where our sins, our debts would be forgiven, where we would be freed from the bondage of sin and enter into the rest that only God could give. The restoration of our relationship with God, which was destroyed in the Garden of Eden. I hope when you think about the Christmas story, that you will see God's plan flooding through it. The identity is Jesus as king and his mission to save the world. That it was and is God's plan for the salvation of mankind. His desire to restore everyone back into a relationship with him. Now I've said that I'm a planner and I love this time of year because I take time to reflect on the year gone by. I have my annual review tomorrow and it's a great time just to think about what's happened in 2023, the good, the bad, and potentially drawing a line in the sand over some things that actually I'd rather they just stayed in 2023 and start looking again to 2024. I like to dream for the year ahead. What's God calling me to do? And I write it down. I wonder how your year's been. In a moment, we're gonna take communion. I want us to pause and reflect. God had a plan from the beginning of time. He knew the promises to Abraham and David could not be fulfilled in human strength. Jesus was with the Father in the beginning when the world was created, when the stars were thrown into space. He knew the plan that God had. He knew that he was that ultimate jubilee, the one that would set the captives free from sin and bondage. It was a rescue plan for all people, no matter what their background, what they had or hadn't done. A plan for you and a plan for me. When we remember communion, it's the fulfillment of that plan for Jesus, the cross where he sacrificed his life that we might live. In a moment or two, a song is going to be played and I want us to take time to pause. Life is busy. Let's just take a moment in this busyness of life to pause as we hold the bread and the wine or the wafer and the juice. Um, where are you at? I don't know everyone's situation of everyone sitting in front of me. I don't know your circumstances, but maybe something I've said has resonated with you today. Maybe today, God is calling you to follow him. Maybe you've never made that decision before. Maybe that decision to be a disciple of Jesus, a Christ follower, to accept God's forgiveness and enter into that ultimate jubilee where your sins are forgiven. Now, I've noticed that that call has been made a few weeks in a row. So maybe you're being stubborn like I was, a story for another day, and you've not made that response. I would encourage you to do that today. Maybe you're sitting here today and your 2023 has actually been really tough for a number of reasons. Maybe you're feeling far from God or maybe you've done something you feel that makes you unqualified to be accepted by him. As you take time to take communion today, I just encourage you to take a moment to ask for God's forgiveness or ask God to speak to you about what's ahead. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what you have done, what you haven't done, you are accepted into his family. And maybe today, you know that God is calling you. Yes, God had a plan, but God also has a plan, and that includes us. Jesus' final words were to go into the world and preach the gospel. Maybe God's put things on your heart for 2024, and they seem a little bit scary or daunting. I would encourage you this morning to hand them over to him, Trust him and make that step of faith. I hope today, when you think about Christmas, you will see that God had a plan. 
and that God still has a plan and it includes us. Thanks for listening to the Stirling Vineyard Sunday podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, please visit our website at stirlingvineyard.co.uk or find us on social media at Stirling Vineyard Church.